Okay, so this is part two of my interview with Scott Roden, author of The Steward Leader. And he's going to talk about the difference between being in bondage or having freedom as a leader and what it means, how it, how a leader can actually hold it loosely while still getting things done. You don't want to miss this. In a world of incompetent bosses, micromanagers, and petty tyrants, one management professor claims that he can help you become the kind of leader that you would want to follow. You are listening to The Leadersmith. Now, here is your host, Darren Gertis. You can sit down with your team and say, what does God call us to do to steward this area well? That's our planting. That's our watering. How do we do that the very best? What metrics do we need to use to make sure that we're the best in the industry at what we're doing? But where do we also say, and we're going to trust God for the increase and not presuppose that we've got to reach across and now believe that we also bring the increase? Because I tell you, Darren, if we if we bring the increase, we get the glory. Yeah. And God's nowhere in the whole equation. We just take him out of the entire equation because it's we plant, we water, we bring the increase, we get the glory. And, and it, it might as we might as well be a secular organization because nowhere is God needed in that whole process. Now. So, yeah. And so that leads me to a different thought. It's, it's uh, related. I don't think most organizations, the, the boards or the CEO, if you're below in the organization, most organizations don't care how you do this. And as long as you meet the numbers. Right. And so what I mean by that. So, for example, Joy at Work, Dennis Bach. Right. Wrote a great book. He was let go of AES as long as he was talking about, you know, happy, be a Christian and have your values. As long as he was making the numbers, the board was fine with it. As soon as he wasn't making the numbers, the board was like, you're out. So there's a tension between doing getting the work done and doing it the right way. So can you talk to that tension? Because it's it's almost like the same tension in leadership where you have to get work done through other people, but you're responsible. Right. Can you yeah. speak to that? Oh, absolutely. No, it's you're spot on. Um, so in the book, we, we simply talk. I think the overarching theme is this, that every every nonprofit, every Christian nonprofit and church in the world, I believe, ultimately should be operating under the same common mission statement. That's a pretty big statement. But I believe that's true. And it actually kind of comes down to our own individual lives, no matter what we're doing. And it's simply this. Our mission is to do God's work. God's way for God's glory. Wow. If, if that is what motivates us, no matter what, we can all take our individual mission statements and embed them underneath that, right? But if we're not doing God's work, then we're doing our work. If we're not doing it God's way, then we're doing it our way. And if we're not doing it for God's glory, then we're doing it for our glory. And how many boards and nonprofits, if they sat and took a really hard, honest look at their policies, their procedures, their metrics, their definition of success or strategic plans, how many of them would have to admit that there's a lot more of their way than God's way, a lot more of their work than God's work, Absolutely. a lot more of their glory than God's glory? That's the, that's the aha moment of pulling back and saying, how do we get our organization aligned with those three pieces of a mission that, um, that honestly, frankly, I think that's all God cares about. Um, I think he wants us to do his work, his way for his glory. And I think he will bless it and he will provide resources for it and all the rest of it. But, but, um, but shouldn't that be our ultimate, our ultimate goal? Yeah. So, and just like in leadership itself, the process is just as important, perhaps more important than the objective. Yeah. Uh, it's the same thing. It's just now you've infused it theologically with 
the right perspective of how you should be doing those that process yeah. in order to get there. But it's still, even with that, it's still a real tension to want to pull. Like I got to make sure that happens. And I, I think a lot of people shipwreck themselves. They give lip service to what you just said about God's work done God's way, but then they're trying to muscle it in their own flesh. Right. I'm sure you've seen that. Oh, totally. And they, um, and they panic when uh, the, maybe some of the metrics don't look like they're turning out and they revert back to what works. Yeah. Um, what works in a, in a, you know, in, a, in an ownership mindset. But, you know, I got to tell you, Dan, when I look at scripture and I see the, the people that we lift up as having been exemplary not maybe, not, not maybe leaders, but people that God used to do extraordinary things. There is a sense, I believe in every one of them, that they surrendered what was logical and what was practical. And they were used by God. They would do whatever God asked. And they would do it whatever way God asked them to do it. And just go through the people yeah. from Abraham to Noah to David to Moses to Elijah to Samuel to, I mean, right on down the way. Yeah, yeah. When they did extraordinary things, it was not because they um, they had a secular metric that they measured what they did and were production driven and did the logical. They, they were all in for Jesus. Um, and yeah. and God had them do extraordinary things. God had Gideon do crazy things to win his battle. God had, uh, you know, um, Moses do things that, that don't make any management sense. And it doesn't mean we just throw out all that stuff. But at least it should help us to see that a biblical model somehow brings us back to faithfulness as our measurement of success. Um, we should pursue that first and foremost. Absolutely. Uh, now, this isn't all leaders, but Christian leaders. How many? What percentage does this write? I mean, if you just had a you know ballpark, it is it is it a quarter? Is it half? Ninety percent? Somewhere? What what in your observation are of Christian leaders, whether that's ministry or business, but people that are committed Christians trying to lead, what percentage gets this kind of thing? Well, I'm going to dodge the question. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you right up front, but I am going to answer it in a little different way. Uh, you know, this whole thing is a journey. We all talk about it being a journey. In fact, I can see I got my sign over here. Um, but it's all about a journey from being this two kingdom uh, owner that, that lives and leads out of bondage uh -huh. to more and more becoming a one kingdom a leader who's been set free to really be a steward leader. In that, in that journey is a continuum, right? And I would say that when I talk, when I give this talk to Christian leaders, which I do quite a bit, um, they will come up and talk to me and identify themselves somewhere on that journey. Um, it's just that some, some have finally broken free and really begun to understand what it means to be um, a, a steward leader set free to lead. And others are just starting the journey or maybe are really totally stuck down here. Um, but I would say, you know, if I were taught when I talk to leaders, I say the most important thing you can do today in this seminar, or this workshop or whatever is to identify where you are on that journey. Okay. Because first of all, knowing where you are means you need to name, name the bondages, name the places that, you know, that's what I did the right first chapter of the book. I basically defined where I was mm -hmm. and then to say, now, where's God calling you? Where's, where's Jesus day by day calling you to go deeper Experience more freedom, let some chains fall, and more and more live into the abundant life that he called you to live. So it's it's all about it's all about that journey. Gotcha. Um, so that leads me what you just said into the next question, which is um, so in the last major concept that I want to discuss, 
you talk about holding it loosely and you say you cannot make a vision your own and also wear the mantle of leadership lightly. So for those who aren't familiar with the term mantle, can you define it? You also give a word picture and I've used this. I, I have borrowed this from you and used this, I don't know how many times for years, but you, you're, you're like holding the, the cup in your hand loosely. You're not, you're not grabbing it and hanging on to it for dear life. And I've got to defend this because this is mine. And oh no, what if somebody tries to attack it? But you're holding it. God placed it in your hand. You're going to steward it, but you're not really doing anything except stewarding it. You're, you're just, you're going to maintain it, but you're not trying to defend it. And that's such a different perspective. So can you talk about that concept some? Yeah, it, um, well, it, it, first of all, the idea of a mantle, um, you know, it's the, it's the, you know, when you put a mantle on a leader, it's like you, you put on the cloak, you put on the, the, uh, the garment that defines them as a leader, that sense of, of the mantle has been passed on to a new leader. Um, and it can be really heavy. It can be really heavy. Um, a lot of, a lot, as I said, a lot of owners wake up every morning, they just feel the weight because they really sense that it's up to them. It's mm -hmm. up to them. And um, so let me just, I'm just going to real briefly talk about this downward spiral because it's exactly what you're talking about. Um, and it starts, and I really, this, there's one point I love every leader to really sit and consider. It's this one. The downward spiral for leaders starts when the, the, our busyness of doing God's work takes over and steals from us our time to be in an intimate relationship with Christ. Uh, yeah. And here's how we say it. You know, we get so busy doing things for God that we have no time left for God to do things in us. And we lose that intimacy, which means we no longer are absolutely sure and listening to the owner what he wants us to do with everything we're stewarding. And as soon as there's that vacuum, as soon as there's a, a little bit of space between not really knowing what God wants us to do with his stuff, we fill it with our desire to fill it our way, and it becomes our stuff. Yeah. It's just amazing how fast that happens. Um, and now all of a sudden, now I've got to rely on my strength, my expertise, my wisdom, my background, all my stuff, because it's now mine. Um, and now I tie my identity to it because I'm the leader, and now this is my organization, and I've sort of lost the connection of the owner. So instead of being the, the stewarding of an, for an owner, I now become the owner myself. And as I tie my identity to it, now people have got to perform for me because the organization has to be successful because its success is my success because my identity is tied to it. And that goes on down my resources. Everything just starts unraveling. And that's yep. that downward spiral. That's where you take that cup and you hold it tight because, yeah. because you have to. And it all goes back to that time. In fact, I, I was doing a radio interview earlier this morning. I was just saying this to the person that when you interview people who had a significant leadership failure, Christian leadership failure, and you ask them, you kind of help them trace back and think back about where did all this start? What do you think, where do you think was the genesis of this, this, this process that led to this failure? It doesn't just happen overnight, right? A person isn't a fantastic dynamic leader one day just says, I think I'll have an affair today, or I think I'll embezzle money today, or I think I'll do something else. It's, it's the end of a long process. So you go back and find out where it starts. And almost every time, Darren, almost every time, it's, it's that, well, there's a period of spiritual dryness in my life where I just lost a sense of God's presence. Well, why did that happen? Well, you ready for this? I was just so busy. Mm -hmm. I was just so busy. What were you busy doing? I was busy doing God's work. 
And isn't that ironic? Wow. I was so busy doing God's work that I didn't have time to, to fellowship with him, to, to abide in Christ. And so cut off from the vine, I began to make it my organization doing it my way. It's just, it's just endemic in that. And then the mantle of leadership gets incredibly heavy. You can't hold it loosely. You got to hang on tight because, it, because it's mine. And I'm now in bondage and I lead out of bondage. Yeah. So what does that look like when you lead out of bondage? So I give an example in class where like, look, if if your identity is so, you know, one with your leadership, if they attack your idea, you thought about that idea. It's a good idea. You have spent hours thinking about, you know, this new program. And when they know that it's not going to work and they say, but boss, this isn't going to work for X, Y and Z. Whoa. You know, it's time to fight. Why? What's I mean, tell me about that process. Well, the, the, the phrase we use to try to typify that is this. Owner leaders absorb praise and deflect criticism. Steward leaders absorb criticism and deflect praise. Wow. Now think about that for a minute. If I'm an owner leader and my identity is tied up in this whole thing, when criticism comes, I have no capacity to, to absorb that because it's a criticism of my identity. So I'm going to deflect that. And I'm going to say, you know, I know that looks like we messed up. Honestly, it was his fault, her fault. Darren didn't do this. So-and-so didn't do that. And, and I, I've got to, I've got to find another place to put that criticism because I, I have no capacity for criticism. When praise comes, I need it. Because when you praise our organization, I need it to come to me because I need it for my identity because that's I need to feel good about myself. Because the, so, the weight is so much, you have to feed yes. it in order to bear the weight. Yep. And, and yeah. by the way, that whole need for applause, that whole need for the affirmation of people to prop up my identity is, I believe, at the core of, again, so much leadership failure. I do believe that over time, especially men have affairs because they need something in their life that tells them that, that you know, that that they're okay. And, and someone comes along and begins to say, you know, that they are, and, and you just glom onto that because of that pressure, or, or there's all kinds of other reasons to do that. We have to be careful right there. So, um, hey, let, so, me, let, me, let me stop on that for a second. So my wife and I were talking about this the other day, and we were kicking around the idea, do people in leadership have affairs and, and other significant breaks at a higher rate than the average population? Or is it just that they're more visible? Yeah. What do you think I, of that? I think it's probably the latter. I think it's just that they're more visible. Okay. Uh, you know, but when when you take on a leadership position in the kingdom of God, you know, the enemy puts a target on your back. Yeah. Because if he can bring you down, yeah, you know, he brings a lot down, right? I mean, think about the ones in the last six months or 12 months. It was a yeah. huge embarrassment to the entire body of Christ. It wasn't just one person. Um, and so, yeah, it, there's a lot more at stake. And I think, but I think it probably, I'm not sure it's any higher but it certainly has a lot more significance. It has, does, does more damage, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. It's okay. a good question, though. The other side of that, though, is when you're a steward leader and you're set free in your leadership role, um, you get a chance to absorb criticism. Because you're, if there's criticism out here, and this is at the seminary, this is where I began to go a little bit that direction. I didn't fully get there. But when people would criticize something that happened at the seminary, and oh my goodness, we were a... Uh, you know, we were a highly integrated, you know, almost inner city seminary in Philadelphia. And you can imagine, you just don't go a day without something being criticized. Um, if, if, we can, if we can see that criticism as 
a constructive way in which I can better steward my role, but it doesn't affect my identity, I can absorb that. It's fine. In fact, I see it as a way of growing. I see it as a way of us getting better. Let's sure if there's something wrong, let's fix it. Um, and when praise comes, I don't need it. And so it's easy for me to just give it away. In fact, steward leaders are the, are the kind of leaders that can have people around them that have better ideas, that are smarter, that get more praise than they do. And they're great to work for because whenever a praise comes, they're just constantly lifting their people up and, and, and saluting the people that are around them. And they let them soar because it's okay if somebody has a lot better idea. I don't need to have that idea. Um, I had a situation at the seminary, and it's exactly what you talked about, where um, I, I came up with what I thought was a really significant way forward. And I shared it with faculty and slowly over time, the entire organization bought it and decided to go that direction. And at the point when it was being implemented, the faculty announced that, you know, that they had had this great idea and were moving forward with it. And I sat back and I thought, that was my idea. <laughs> I didn't get any credit here for it. And it, for, for, for a while, I was really, I was, I was struggling with why, you know, I didn't get acknowledged as having been the one that started the whole thing. Well, as I look back on it, it's because I was an owner. Why couldn't I at that point of time and say, you know what? The kingdom of God's going to be blessed by this. I don't you know, I need the credit. I know who I am in Christ. God be praised. I don't care. Get else get the credit. Let's just make it happen and let's go forward. But I was struggling with that owner leader mentality that said, no, I, I need to be propped up. And that's, you know, that's an indication there. So steward leaders can, can absorb criticism. And they can just deflect praise and and working for a steward leader is such a wonderful thing because they're your best, they're your biggest champion. They're not threatened by you. As you were talking, I was thinking about the asymmetric power imbalance. When you when you have the title president, people defer and and do your will just because, well, I mean, you cut my paycheck. So there's yeah. a difference then if if I'm just a faculty member. If there's a di there's a difference between me saying something and you saying something, it, it just changes it. How does the steward leader model um, intervene in such a way to not let things go off the rails because of that asymmetric power imbalance? Right. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> um, I think steward leaders are able to to, in some sense, give away power. You can't give away all your power because there's just positional power that you're always going to have. But but when I invest in you and come to you and I say, um, you know, if you were to fully steward the role that, that God put you into, what would that look like? Mm -hmm. um, what, what's the potential that's here? What, what could you do if you were given what you needed to, to really be a full, a faithful steward and do with excellence what you do? And if my heart is to empower you to fully live into your calling of being a steward of your role in our institution, um, in some sense, I've empowered you to do that. And we become kind of co-journeyers. And that's, I use that word a lot when it comes to managing other people. We become fellow travelers instead of, I have, you don't, I have, you know, uh, that, 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 that sense of that power dynamic around resources and information and all the other things that are, that are tied up in that asymmetrical power um, uh, figure. So if, if you know that, that I am out for your best, mm -hmm. Um, and I want you to shine and I want you to be the best that you can be. It sounds a little trite, I know, but still in what God called you to do, um, then the power dynamics shift, I think. Yeah. And that's really deep because how much wasted time and effort is there in doing something like 
why aren't these turkeys doing what I my plan? You know, as I you know, I came up with this plan and it's a great plan, and they're just not doing it. The ruiners. Yep. <laughs> How much time exactly. do we waste in that? That's because we're holding this so tightly rather yep. than holding it loosely. Yep. And and if you have hopes and dreams and aspirations and, and you're made in the image of God, so are your people, right? Yep. And recognizing yep. that is is pretty profound. It, it, it is. And um, also recognizing that everybody that works in our organization is struggling with a two kingdom uh, way of living. Yeah. And so how can we help them be set free? I, I think... You know, I think one of the greatest uh, roles of a leader is to help their people be set free. And that goes back to that steward culture. Yeah. We want a culture here where people are being being freed from the bondages that they that they live in. Because if it happens at work, it's going to go into their home. It's going to go into their marriage. It's going to go into their parenting. Um, all the rest of that, um, you know, Christian community ought to be a place where we're constantly journeying with one another to, to see God set everyone free. Okay, this is the appropriate place to talk about recent books. So you wrote The Steward Leader in 2013. And uh, what has, you know, how, what's changed? How, how have you gone deeper? Uh, how have you extended your thinking? How has it changed some? What's going on with that? Sure. Um, well, it was 2010, actually, The Steward Leader okay. came up. Um, and we have been doing a lot of leadership training, both at the nonprofit level and in Christian business leaders. Uh, we have an online course called Becoming a, Becoming a Steward Leader Experience, which is a, a coaching online kind of a, a, a combined opportunity for leaders to really go deeper in all of this. Uh, we wrote a, you know, a second book here called uh, Set Free to Lead, mm -hmm. which is a little bit more of a lay version of the steward leader that we're using, especially internationally, but, but even uh, here in the U.S., uh, the board book I talked about because we're I'm doing board training with three different organizations right now and uh, began teaching. You know, it's, it's funny, Darren, as you do this, that you begin unpacking steward theology and and just seeing it applied in more and more and more and more places. Sure. And now all of a sudden thinking about what does it mean to be a steward board? And that's a, I think that's a, a hugely important concept for Christian nonprofits and even churches that have boards. Um, we're doing some work in marriage. What, what does it mean to, to be a steward of my wow. spouse's heart? And that's a, it's a whole marriage thing. And when I look at my, if I look at my marriage through the lens of stewarding, then what does it mean that my, my job in my marriage is to steward this, my spouse's heart so that, that he or she may be fully the person God created them to be through our marriage. And now yeah. I become a steward because a lot of people are, are stuck in some ownership paradigms within their marriage. Sure. Uh, what does it mean to steward my kids? Uh, how do I be a steward parent instead of an owner parent? And I, I jokingly say, if you don't believe that parents can be owners of their kids, you know, go to a little league baseball game. Absolutely. I mean, that we just, we own our kids and their outcomes. We want to control. If there's any place we want to control outcomes. We want to control our kids and who they become and where they go to school and who they marry and all the rest of it. And boy, we learn pretty quickly that we don't control it. And it can either cause huge anxiety or um, we can take a steward mindset to it and say, hey, these are God's kids, and I, I get to steward them as their parent. How do I do that faithfully? So, you know, many, many different layers in which, uh, in which this whole idea of owner-steward is, is being thought out. Okay, so you talked about a couple of books. I'm assuming you can find them on Amazon uh, or Barnes & Noble or whatever else. Where else should they go? Do you have a website that you can point them to? Or so Two things. Um, the publisher is Kingdom Life Publishing, kingdomlifepublishing.com. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, all of our books are there. All of our all of our courses are there. All of our resources are there. So if people are interested in looking at kind of all the things we've written on steward theology, they'll find them at kingdomlifepublishing.com. And then the stewardsjourney.com, the stewardsjourney.com is our uh, ministry website. And I blog every week. Um, I do a daily text that uh, people are interested in signing up for it at 7 a.m. West Coast time. Uh, a text goes out and it's, you know, it's short, real short, but it's just a, an inspirational thought. It's a quote for the day. So we try to supply that with people. We do podcasts and, uh, and offer other resources through that. So the stewardsjourney.com for the ministry side, Kingdom Life Publishing for the publishing side. Okay. Uh, and if they want to get a hold of you to come speak to their organization or something along those lines, find you through that or email or how, how do you want them to find you? Yeah, well, they, if they go to the stewardsjourney.com, there's a place there for to do a speaker's request, or I'm just at you know Scott at the stewardsjourney.com. Okay, that's pretty easy. Pretty All right. Happy I, to hear I, from just, I have just a couple more questions, real quick. If you could go back and talk to yourself as a young leader, what would you tell them? So I had the opportunity to do a commencement address a while ago, and I'm actually doing another one here in about a week, and that's actually my topic. And I tell wow. people that I could go back and sit next to myself on graduation day. I would, I would say one thing to myself. I would say, Scott, be careful how you define success because it is going to drive everything you do. Mm. And I really do believe as I look back, had, had I shifted my view of success when I was walking out of college or walking out of seminary and defined it solely in terms of faithfulness, I would have walked a different, a better path. A better wow. path. Yeah, that's deep. Okay, so I end every podcast. I'm going to let you end with any question or any thought that you have, but I end every podcast with a quotation for contemplation. And usually it's somebody else's quote. I'm quoting you because it's your book. Um, here, you said, Steward leaders are neither born nor made, they're freed. And that, that's deep. Like I, I like Drucker when he said they're neither born or made, they're grown. That I mean, there's something true, but they're freed and they're not in bondage because if they do this, then they're free from that bondage. Anything you want to elaborate to that? Um, no, but thanks for bringing it up. Cause I, that was, <laughs> that was a big aha moment for me as well. Yeah. Uh, when that's... I realized that God, God can use anyone if they're willing to be set free and, and seek faithfulness in their pursuit um, and see God as the owner of all things. I think that puts us in a position for God to use us in some really powerful ways. Yeah. It's, that's just such a deep concept. Okay. Any other thing that we didn't talk about that you want to impress on listeners, any last thought whatsoever? Um, <clears throat> last week I wrote a blog and uh, it was, it was kind of one of those first times that I had put this theology in a certain way. And I just love to have everyone chew on it a little bit. And I propose that perhaps the most important question we ask ourselves as Christians, as followers of Jesus in this day and age, is the question, um, who owns your life? Wow. And right. uh, it, it, it's, a, it's like a 180 degree decision point that we go down. I think so much of what we're seeing in our culture today, in our society today, is a culture that believes that that we own our life. We are the God of our life. We're the Lord of our life. We're the determiner of our identity. And and that is the basis of sin. That's Genesis chapter 3. And we're seeing it kind of run amok right now. A culture that is narcissistically saying, my life belongs to me. And I want all that comes with it. In the midst of that, do we as Christians stand up and say no? Our lives belong to God. 
and we're stewards. Um, and to me, this is a moment where that that decision point is going to become more more sharp and clear and distinct for those who are willing to say that my life belongs to God and I'm a steward. Scott, thank you so much for coming on the program and talking to both my listeners and my students who will be watching this as well. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, if I can ever be helpful to you, please let me know. It's been a great blessing to me. I love talking about this and the chance to share it with some of your listeners has just really been special. So thanks so much for having me on. Thank you. Thank you.